So we were looking at the, uh, as I was preparing for the baptism this morning, I was noticing there's another baptism in Acts chapter 10. And at each chapter, um, almost of the entire Bible, I feel that I have questions that are not uh, addressed either as much as I would like or at all, and reminds me again and again and again that while I have my questions, there are the things that the Holy Spirit shares with us through the Word that are for our good and for our growth, that we might understand the Lord and ourselves. One of the things that happens in the book of Acts that we're looking at this summer and certainly next summer, perhaps even the summer after that, um, not through the fall and spring, we're going to shift in uh, September, we're going to look at... uh, the definition by description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, how that can inform us as a church and individuals. What happens in the book of Acts is um, the early church is growing. It's being persecuted internally and externally. They are arguing about things. They're figuring out how to run the church. And the speed of the book of Acts, it goes from zero to five miles an hour to 70 miles an hour. And then there's some chronology jumps We do a little podcast because I really want to preach for an hour, but I know you don't want me to preach for an hour, so we have a little podcast called Five More Minutes, and in it I was pointing out in Acts chapter 9, when you go from verse 22 to 23, if you know the rest of the scripture, three years transpires in between those verses, but Luke doesn't say that. And what's beginning to happen in Acts chapter 10 is the story is shifting from predominantly about Peter and his leadership of the early church to Paul. Um, this happens in the book of Mark at about halfway point. Jesus changes the way he's talking about the good news and the kingdom a little bit. Same thing in the book of Acts. But we have a few more chapters that are predominantly about Peter. The book of Acts does assume some familiarity with the rest of the New Testament. And uh, this is why a lot of your Bibles have a concordance in the middle. You know what that is? Like in the middle, a lot of Bibles have a text down both sides and in the middle is a concordance and it'll help Me, even though I've mastered divinity, I sometimes don't remember everything. Go back and understand different parts of the scriptures. Now, I have an encouragement. If you're enjoying studying the book of Acts, but you're noticing the number of questions that you have, I'd encourage you to get a study Bible. Not because we are only supposed to study the Bible. It is also for devotion, for our joy. Um, But we keep one in our house over in uh, my wife's office, And I love going back to it with the questions that I have. And so in Acts chapter 10, all sorts of things happen. And Luke is assuming that we have some familiarity with the rest of the New Testament. And sometimes that can frustrate some of us. And the last thing I want to say as way of introduction is, um, this story is about some things that happened, mostly to the Apostle Peter. The underlying text is about God's incredible patience with you and I. The thing that Peter is going to learn that you and I are also learning is something that was taught to him repeatedly before this. It's something that's taught to him repeatedly in Acts chapter 10. And what happens when we see something repeatedly taught, especially to someone who was so close to Jesus, who's already preached sermons and people have come to faith in Jesus, but he still has things to learn, is not only the fact that you and I still have things to learn about loving God and neighbor, but also how patient God is with us in teaching us these things. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to read the whole text. It's 48 verses long. I have a couple of encouragements. One, if you didn't bring a Bible, there are apps 
for their apps about the Bible. Very large church in my home state of Oklahoma is one called uh, the Life Church Bible app. It's very, very good. I use the ESV. That's a version of the Bible. We jokingly in seminary called it the extra special version. That's not actually what it's called. But some of our professors helped write it, so we sort of had to like kind of say it's the extra special version. Um, you could follow along in the NIV or really any other version of the Bible um, and probably keep up with us, but we preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version here at the barn. Um, so if you're going to open your Bible to Acts chapter 10, or I'm trying to give you time to download the app to follow along, or especially because it's a long text, you could just close your eyes and listen. The entire Bible was written in order to be read aloud. You and I have short attention spans, eight seconds, according to some marketing people, and yet I'm going to read for a few minutes and you might find yourself drifting off. That's okay. Hopefully you're sitting by a neighbor and they'll catch you. Um, but another way to receive the scripture is to listen to it. Um, this is how it was written with the expectation. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 10. Follow along in, the Bible, in your Bible or feel free to just listen, closing your eyes or not. At Caesarea, picking up in verse 1, there was a man named Cornelius or a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. It's the Bible's justification for beach houses for your vacation, by the way. Right there, Acts chapter 10, verse 6. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Hold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. 
The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. It's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we look for a few minutes at the early church, the men and women that you chose to witness your resurrection then beginning to tell other men and women that calling you Lord is freedom, forgiveness, real life, joy, and peace. For those of us that call you Lord, would we be encouraged? Would you encourage us? For those that are considering your gospel, Lord, would we hear from Peter and others about the good news of faith in Jesus Christ? Amen. So the story is shifting not to um, 
from one group to another, but from including one group, which is mostly the God-fearers and the Jews, to all men and women. It's not changing, but it's expanding. And it's interesting to me how many times a story overlaps with this one. I never know if that's the Lord encouraging me or has nothing to do with me, or it's like a pushback, like ignore that part of your notes. The wind is what I'm speaking of. Anyway, throughout the Bible, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, repeatedly Jesus teaches that the good news is for all people. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus speaks with a centurion, and after speaking with him, the centurion, a different centurion than this one, had great faith in him. He turns and he tells all the other people, this is the most faith I've seen in the nation of Israel. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is sitting with a Syrophoenician woman, which you're like, why does that matter? It matters because she wasn't a Jew, and yet he was showing all those following him, this good news is for everybody. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good. See, you guys know your Bible. You know this story. Who's the hero of the story? Right? So Jesus is teaching and modeling and interacting. In John chapter 4, he sits with a woman at a well who's not a Jew. He's teaching the men. And yet, throughout the book of Acts, Peter and all the rest of the God followers and the Jesus followers are learning this is for everybody. This is not about religious activity, though religious activity is a good response to the news. This is not about what nation you were born into, though that matters, where we come from matters, from our mentoring and, and everything else. This is not about what race we are, though race matters. There are beauties and nobilities and blind spots to every race and culture and nation in the world throughout history, including this one. All of that matters, and yet, before it matters, the good news is for all people. And even in Acts chapter 10, years after Jesus had revealed himself, risen from the dead to Peter, Peter is learning even more fully that the good news is for everyone. How many times did the sheet descend and he eat a reptile. Did you catch that in the text? Have you ever eaten a reptile? Yeah. I have never eaten a reptile. I know some of you have, especially those who have traveled the globe. Where There you are. Yes, sir. I have not eaten a reptile, and I'd be a little nervous, though I have never kept kosher. God is so gentle and so patient with Peter. He was there for the Syrophoenician woman in Acts chapter 7. He probably heard about Acts chapter 8 because it was about three years before these events. And Philip... Uh, evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch. He was there in Luke chapter 7 when the centurion put his faith in Jesus. He heard Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan. He was there with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And yet here's the Holy Spirit again teaching him. Most of what you and I learn, we learn pretty slow, right? Every once in a while we learn something quickly. And I don't know about you, I would like to learn for the rest of my life from like magazines and books. But most of the time I end up having to learn things in much more difficult fashion. I want to point out from the scripture that, that God is so patient and yet relentlessly good in teaching us about love for him and love for neighbor. 
This is the apostle Peter, the rock upon which Jesus built his church, full of blind spots and silly tendencies to curse and hack off ears. And yet he was also, he hacked at one ear, sorry, one ear. I don't know if you know that story about Peter. God is so patient, but also relentless in teaching him about loving him and neighbor. What he's teaching him is that the good news of Jesus is for all people. And perhaps you think that I prepared this sermon because the events going on around the country, I I did not. I had this text picked out a long time before that. And I wrote one version of the sermon to talk more specifically about that, but I talked about it last week. And I want to talk about something a little different, not because those events don't matter, they do. You can go back and listen to my sermon from last week if you'd like. It's very compelling stuff, let me tell you. Thank you. Those of you that laugh know me well. I appreciate that. I want to point out what's implied by God's patience in teaching Peter about love for him and love for neighbor. What's implied is you and I are not naturally good lovers of God or of people. Throughout the scriptures, there's the relentlessly loving, patient, kind God. And there are the men and women that for the most part miss it and miss it and miss it and he continues to love and pursue them. You and I are naturally selfish, not selfless. You and I are not naturally, according to the scripture, good at loving with our hands. For some of us, that's made us afraid. For others, perhaps we've acted out in different ways. You and I are not naturally good with our words. For some of us, that has made us more silent and less loving with our words. For some of us, we're aggressive with our words. Not only do we need to learn, but, but God indwells us. Those of you that are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you right now and teaching me and you to love well with our words, with our actions, with our hands. That's not what Acts chapter 10 is about. Acts chapter 10 is about the pursuing heart of God teaching Peter for at least the 15th time that he isn't naturally a good lover and does not naturally understand that the good news of Jesus is for everyone. All races, dispositions, nations, men, and women. The Bible presents a tension for us that every man and woman is made in the image of God and yet we're also naturally born into a world sinful and pretty quickly begin contributing to that sin with our words and hands, with our silence and action and inaction. And yet when we place our faith in Jesus of Nazareth, not just our belief, but our actions and our heart, call him Lord, we are changed. We are made new from the inside and it begins to grow out. We learn to be better lovers of every neighbor in our life. Depending on what you do for a living um, and, and how you spend your time throughout the week, all of us are going to interact with between 10 and probably 500 people this week. Those are the neighbors God has called us into loving. 
The one thing I want to add just for you and I to the discussion going on around uh, the world, really, about humans and how imperfectly we love other humans, you and I are called not only to love every man and woman we come into contact with, that's the Christian life, love God and love neighbor. Some of those neighbors are our enemies. And some of the discussions happening around the world and also in the United States exclude the enemy. The love of God excludes no one. You and my neighbor love excludes no one. That doesn't mean we have to interact and be in relationship with everyone. But the love of the Christian is for everyone, even enemies. What's happening in Acts chapter 10 is Peter is being taught again and you and I are being reminded that the good news is for all people is that the church is becoming an asylum. In the front of your bulletin is a picture of an abstract piece of art that a woman painted for me. It's in my office and because of the wind I did not bring it down today. And when I was talking with this artist, her name's Kira, about a series I did in 2014, I, was, I did not tell her to call it that. I just said, we're going to talk about why we gather. What it means to learn to love God and neighbor. What it means to respond to the love of Jesus Christ with our actions, with our heart, with our decisions, with our money, as the centurion did, giving alms. It's mentioned three times. And she didn't finish the painting in time for that series. And then like a year after I purchased it from her, she told me that the name of it was Asylum. And I love that. Because listen, for you and I to receive the love of God the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ and receive the indwelling Holy Spirit requires some humility. To admit that we are needy folk naturally born into a world broken and broken ourselves. So most of us, if we're honest, are a little bit uncomfortable about the word asylum. One of our elders preached a few weeks ago when I was out of town and talked about an asylum that he used to walk by as a child. But he also talked about how that's good news because it reminds you and I of our need. Our need is entire. You and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot behave so well that God will accept us. Our words and our actions and will never match up to his standard, which can sound harsh unless we have the work of Jesus Christ, who as Peter preached in Acts chapter 10 to the, a house of people. Were they all still standing up? As I was reading the text, I'm like, were they all just standing in the doorway and he preached a sermon? It's kind of what it seemed like. I don't know. Luke's really high on the details that he had to eat some reptiles, but he doesn't tell us where they were sitting for the sermon. What's the sermon about? Placing our faith in Jesus draws us into real life with him. Forgiveness. You and I cannot forgive ourselves. You and I have sinned and need that and are drawn into not just faith with him, but also this community of imperfect people with the full expectation that our belief and faith will change us. 
At the end of Acts chapter 10, there's a full expectation that men and women call Jesus Lord. They begin to be changed. They receive baptism. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, which among other things means they knew they were loved. What's the application? Seminary professor who taught our uh, homiletics class, that's preaching. I don't know why we have to have so many words for one thing. Let's just leave that soapbox over here. A homiletics professor, he said his homiletics professor, when he went to the seminary, would always sit in the back of the room with his arms folded. After a really wonderful sermon about the love of God and the story of the early church and say, so what? So what do I do? What you and I do, first of all, is remember that it's not about what we do. All of the commands of Scripture are meant to be interpreted as a response of love to what Jesus Christ did to reconcile you and I. And you're like, are you trying to get out of giving me an application? No. But I want to set up the application. The religious activity that you and I do is absolutely worthless. In fact, spiritually speaking, it's worse than worthless. It's destructive to come to church if we think that coming to church saves us. But if we know that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, then there are all sorts of wonderful ways to respond. Some of you know me pretty well. You know where I'm going to go with this. The Ten Commandments, I love them because they're misunderstood. I love them because they're old. I love them because it's the one time in Scripture that says God wrote with his finger into a rock. That's interesting, right? The way that they're misunderstood is we think they're common sense. That's not true at all. We think God's all about the rules. We haven't even looked at them. The rules are so gracious and loving. One of them is take a day off. God is for our good. Here's how this applies to Acts chapter 10. If you want to know what the application to the sermon is, it's learn to follow him as a response of love. Learn to worship him and him alone. Learn to not worship stuff. Learn to have some integrity about what we actually believe. Learn to take a day off. That's commandment number four. Learn to honor our father and mother. Learn not to lie, lust, cheat, steal, covet, that's pretty good. That might have been in order too. I'm not sure. I might have gotten them out of order, but I did name the Ten Commandments. You're not impressed. All right, that's all right. You should expect your pastors to know their stuff. It's fine. But why do we do those things? We do those things as a response of love for our own joy, to glorify God, to learn to love neighbor. According to the scriptures, modeled implicitly throughout the whole gospel and very much Acts 10, you and I are reminded that we are amateur lovers. And yet the Holy Spirit will not leave us there, but will grow us into better and better lovers of him and of neighbor for his glory, for our good, and for the good of neighbor. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wind. Thank you so much again 
for your teaching that the wind is like your Holy Spirit, which we cannot see, but which changes us. I thank you, God, that you are indeed a good father who loves us and is patient with us as you were patient with Peter. I thank you that because of the work of Jesus, his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, we can be reconciled to you by saying, Lord, I know that I need you. I place my faith in you. And then you give us the Holy Spirit. Father, as we sing, as we go back to our homes, places of business, would we remember that you love us? And then help us remember that that love is proven by the work of Jesus Christ. And then help us to respond to that love in following you. In your name we pray. Amen.